Welcome back to the Pacific Century, a Hoover Institution podcast on America, China, Asia, and the fate of the 21st century. I am Misha Oslin, a fellow at the Hoover Institution and your host of the podcast. My co-host, John Yu, usually with us from the sunny climes of the Bay Area, is somewhere in an airplane today. And so he is missing out on a fantastic guest, someone I've been very excited to interview and looking forward to have, and that is Senator Bill Haggerty. For those of you who don't know Senator Haggerty, and I know those of you listening to this podcast all do, he is serving his first term as the junior senator from the great state of Tennessee. More importantly, for our purposes, immediately before this, he was our ambassador in Japan, our man in Japan for two years from 2017 to 2019. Uh, Before that, he has a career in private equity. Uh, He worked in the White House uh, under George H.W. Bush, but also had a period uh, of living in Japan for three years. So we are very excited to talk to Senator Haggerty about Japan, about leadership in Japan, and about the Indo-Pacific more broadly. Senator Bill Haggerty, welcome to the Pacific Century. It's great to be with you, Misha, and uh, it's great to have an opportunity to reflect on my time in Japan, which actually dates back to 1988. I was working with Boston Consulting Group then, and they sent me to Japan at a time when Japan had just overtaken the Soviet Union to become the number two economy in the world. And you may remember the economy was just charging full bore at that point. Books were written, Japan is number one. Uh, There were, you know, great, um, great discussions about whether Japan might become the top economy. Uh, I was there during a very unique time during that that period. The bubble was, uh, uh, you know, was short lived. Uh, did, didn't make it well into the in, into the uh, 1990s. But uh, I was there at a very unique time. And interestingly, uh, you know, so many of the friends that I made then uh, are still in Japan and were great allies and and and, and great intermediaries uh, when I went back in a very different role, serving as the U.S. ambassador. You know, uh, some quarter of a century later. Well, that you you actually have, as as you noted, getting there at the height of the bubble um, when all of the focus. And if it's hard for younger folks to think today, all the attention and focus that we put on China today is exactly the type of attention and focus we put on Japan when you were first there. That bubble era. It's when I got involved in in doing Japanese studies and eventually got a PhD in Japanese history. So all of us were sort of wrapped yeah. up into Japan in that period. And actually, I think Senator makes you, you know, one of one of the folks with among the longest, uh, you know, the longitudinal experience in dealing with Japan. And, and then I think crucially then in your new position and you're on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, you know, to have the perspective of understanding how we dealt with one ally that was also seen as a challenger, Uh, another country that's a challenger, uh, and some would like to see it potentially as an ally. And that's going to be increasingly critical as we go ahead. Before we get to that, though, and I do want to get to that, talk to you about the Quad, talk to you about AUKUS and the like. Um, Let's talk a little bit, though, about leadership in Japan. Um, Japan's going to have a new prime minister uh, next month. those who who were listening to this podcast from the beginning, we we talked a lot about uh, Prime Minister then Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. We actually interviewed Konotaro when he was the Defense Minister mm-hmm. and he was running uh, to be head of the LDP, the Liberal Democratic Party. But he was beaten by Fumio Kishida, and so Kishida will be the next Prime Minister of Japan. He served in the Diet since 1993. He represents Hiroshima. He was also the longest-serving Foreign Minister in Japan's history. Uh, during the uh, presidency, primarily of Barack Obama, and I think a little bit into into.
into your uh, tenure or your time, uh, certainly President Bush's, uh, President Trump's time. Um, do you know Mr. Kishida, and, and what can you tell us about him? What do you think about him as the next leader of Japan? I, I, I do know him. And uh, as you say, he was foreign minister uh, before Taro Kono was foreign minister. Um, I know all of the candidates that um, that were in consideration and contention for prime minister. I think they will formally make that uh, elect him prime minister on Monday. And, uh, you know, Prime Minister Suga will, will still be in the role for a period uh, I had a great working relationship with Prime Minister Suga. Again, when um, Prime Minister Abe was serving, uh, Suga-san was the chief cabinet secretary, an unusual role that, that exists in Japan, very different from any role that we have here. If you can imagine the White House chief of staff combined with the press secretary, combined with a little bit of the OMB director, FEMA, uh, just a very unusual um, you know, set of responsibilities that the chief cabinet secretary uh, undertakes, and I think that gave uh, Suga a very unique perspective on the management of government. He came in a very challenging time, though. The pandemic, I think, has made it difficult for political leaders around the globe, and uh, I applaud him for uh, getting the Tokyo Olympics uh, underway, and I felt if any nation could accomplish uh, an Olympics uh, in the in the face of a pandemic, Japan would be the nation that could do it, and I think they did a very good job under the circumstances. Um, we've got now a new opportunity, though, with with a, with a new prime minister. Uh, I'm looking forward to working with them. Japan still remains the cornerstone of our strategy in the region, uh, as we say, the cornerstone of peace and prosperity in the entire Indo-Pacific. Our presence there, from a military standpoint, is significant. We have more U.S. military active duty stationed in Japan than any other nation in the world. And uh, that is an important element of our posture, uh, not only for Japan itself, but for the region. And if you think about the challenges that we face in that region, you've got North Korea, you've got Russia, you've got China right at your doorstep there. Um, what's happening in the South China Sea right now, I think, is concerning to everybody. And it's, it's an incredibly important relationship for us to continue to strengthen. So I'm going to look forward to continuing that relationship. Uh, under a new prime minister and retaining my relationships with the former prime ministers. I uh, recently um, was, uh, was engaged in a, a Zoom conference with former prime minister Abe, who is still active. Uh, I'm certain that um, former soon to be former prime minister Suga will remain active as well. And those relationships are all uh, terribly important, as you know, uh, particularly given the longstanding strategic relationship we've held with Japan. I feel fortunate to be close to so many of their leaders. Well, and again, that's always been a, a key part of the U.S.-Japan relationship were these personal ties between leaders, scholars, uh, analysts, journalists, and the like that, that created really a community of interest. And certainly you've been involved in that from the business side, the diplomatic side, now um, the legislative side, and legislative ties go back a very long way. As, as you Think about, um, and obviously we're now in the, the sort of DC game of trying to, you know, forecast what Kishida might or might not do uh, during the campaign, uh, which is, which again for our listeners has to understand, it's not a national campaign; it's a campaign within the LDP to be elected the head of the LDP, and then thereby, because they have the majority in the Diet, the Parliament, he'll be he'll be uh, elected as Prime Minister. Um, he he took a fairly hard line. Uh, he he talked about um, Japan needing a strike capability of, of for missile defense, being able to reach out. It's something it, it doesn't have now. Uh, he talked uh, about China as being both uh, a, a, the. the 
the critical element of stability with China, but at the same time, the threat that China poses and the threat that North Korea poses. You know, anyone trying to follow on uh, Prime Minister Abe's in Abe's footsteps, uh, including current Prime Minister Suga, had a hard time because Abe had a very expansive and very coherent strategic vision. Uh, how do you assess Kishida? And again, having been foreign minister for for five years, how do you assess? Uh, will there be a Kishida doctrine? What what might that look like? And most importantly, I guess for us, and and I sit uh, here in D.C., um, what will that mean for the alliance? How do you see the, the alliance going? Forward? forward under a Prime Minister Kishida? I think uh, future Prime Minister Kishida served in the Abe cabinet as foreign minister. Uh, Abe was the prime minister, you know, for, for that time. And I think that I was, I would expect to see an alignment with the free and open Indo-Pacific vision that Prime Minister Abe did such a great job of articulating. Uh, we're leaning into that. I've applauded the Biden administration for uh, the, its, its activities to continue focusing on the quad to continue focusing on the free and open Indo-Pacific strategy and the vision that Prime Minister Abe so ably laid out years ago. Um, I think that any prime minister of Japan is going to continue to want to advance the strength of our alliance and our relationship. Uh, again, the neighborhood is a tough one. And uh, what we'll see with respect to China is uh, an eyes wide open perspective. Uh, Japan is looking very carefully at the situation with Taiwan right now. We've all watched Hong Kong. Uh, seeing what's happening in Xinjiang with the Uyghur population there. There's a great deal of concern about the posture that China is adopting. From a military standpoint, um, you know, China has enabled now through a new, through new legislation or a new law um, their Coast Guard to be armed and look much more like a, a military asset. Um, I was in a conversation just today with some of my friends, uh, re retired uh, flag officers, who were talking me through um, the fleet of, uh, what would they call them, um, uh, ships or uh, their amphibious, uh, amphibious craft that uh, pose a threat to Taiwan that China is, um, you know, is building up under the guise of a commercial fleet, uh, but it, it has dual use. And if you think about dual use technologies, everybody should be looking at the region and China's maritime posture. I think people are also looking very carefully at what China's been doing in the South China Sea. Uh, they've crushed coral reefs, dumped millions of tons of concrete into the ocean. I remember seeing President Xi standing next to then-President Obama in the Rose Garden back in 2015, claiming that there was no intention to militarize these islands. Well, any of our listeners uh, that haven't, I encourage them to go Google Fiery Cross Reef and take a look at that. Um, this is a military asset uh, with, a, with a huge runway, turrets. It's, it's a military asset that's right there in one of the busiest shipping lanes in the world. So we're watching what, what's happening with China uh, with great concern here in the United States. I can assure you that same level of concern exists in Japan. Um, we also have a, a huge economic relationship with China. It's a market that's far too large to ignore. But China needs to understand that they have to play by a set of rules that are fair, that are reciprocal, and we cannot tolerate the type of predatory behavior that we've seen coming from China uh, that, that uh, I think all of us are aware of, whether it be intellectual property theft, the deep subsidization of champion industries that make it impossible or nearly impossible to compete. Uh, we need to be pressing back at every turn and seeing that China abides by the, the rule set that a market-based economy should be um, accommodating. Uh, with respect to uh, China, I'll, I'll, I'll turn again to their aggressive posture from a diplomatic standpoint. 
they continue to focus on organizations like the UN, the World Health Organization, trying to find, you know, you think about standard setting bodies that are, that are um, multilateral in nature. China has been extraordinarily aggressive uh, in building their presence and building their position and influence. We need to understand that and, and realize that China's interests are always uh, to, to, to looking out for themselves uh, first and foremost. And then from a military standpoint, uh, the buildup that I've seen since my first time in Japan, um, I think the military budget of, of China has probably increased eightfold or more. Uh, whereas our posture in the region, I think, is, is, has improved. We've got an extraordinary capability there. China is ramping up its military capability very, very rapidly. And that is being noticed by every one of our allies in the region, particularly Taiwan, as you would imagine. But, but Japan is paying very close attention to this as well. Let me let me ask you uh, briefly about Taiwan, and then I'd like to ask you about TPP. Um, you mentioned Taiwan, and interestingly, Kishida, uh, again, who's about to become Japan's prime minister, uh, made a point of of Taiwan during the campaign, and and this is this is something uh, that those of us who know Japan know. Of course, there have been many years of of very close but quiet contact between Japan and and Taiwan, but now it's come to the, to the forefront. It, it's become an issue uh, with Japanese leaders talking very openly about uh, the need to pay attention to what's happening in Taiwan and even act in concert. Do you, what, what do you think uh, the U.S. and Japan could do or should do together on Taiwan, or do you think that that stirs up the, the hornet's nest? Um, uh, the hornet's nest is what it is. Uh, I think that we need to continue to deepen our economic ties. If you think about the relationship between Japan and Taiwan, it, it, it is, is a longstanding relationship. Uh, there was an occupation at one point. There are a number of uh, people in Taipei that are fluent in Japanese. There's a tremendous amount of commerce between um, Taiwan and Japan. A lot, a lot of leaders have been schooled in Japan, and that type of cultural connectivity, I think, is important. It's something that it's in Japan's interest and Taiwan's interest to sustain and build. It's in the American economy's interest and the American nation's interest uh, to support that as well and to stay involved. So I think that you're going to see increasing engagement from an economic standpoint, both from America and from Japan. I think that our economic security and our national security are very closely linked, and um, this is a way to strengthen ties and to let the world know that our economic interests are real, significant, and growing. I'd like to see you know, South Korea brought into the equation more as well. From a technology standpoint, if you think about the capabilities of South Korea, Japan, and, and, and Taiwan, uh, it's in America's interest to be working with all three of those nations very closely and looking for opportunities every day. So I, I see uh, you know, future economic engagement as a critical part of our uh, engagement with, with, with um, tai Taiwan. And I think that the other nations in the region, specifically Japan and South Korea, um, will be increasingly focused on that as well. So on the economic part then, China, as you know, has uh, applied to become part of TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which we pulled out of uh, under, under President Trump, uh, and uh, the Japanese went ahead with the 11 nations, they now call it the Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership. Um, should the U.S. get back into TPP, um, what, and should Taiwan come in? The, the Brits are, have applied to come in, so where do we stand with TPP? directly to your point you just made about um, the importance of markets, the importance of economic ties. Well, with respect to the TPP, as you can imagine, I arrived in uh, Japan as ambassador in 2017. 
uh, there was a tremendous amount of discussion around the TPP. Uh, I'll step back for a minute and tell you uh, the, the circumstance there. The United States already had trade agreements with half of the TPP um, countries. If you add Japan to that mix, that comprised 90% of the trade volume. Uh, from, a, from a trade volume perspective, my focus was getting a deal done with Japan, and we got a bilateral deal done. I worked my heart out for two years to get that done, but we've, we've signed it, put it into effect, of course, just before the pandemic hit. Uh, but I think it's got great potential. Um, not only will it be great for the agricultural sector here in America, but the high standard digital agreement that we put in place, I think, will be the gold standard and something that we can continue to build upon. Um, with respect to the strategic value of, of trade, though, and, and, and partnership, we need to continue to be looking for ways to engage more. Uh, the notion that China would join the TPP is laughable. You know, they've suggested this, uh, and I think it's it's yet just another propaganda piece. China will never accede to the requirements and high standards there. That's not the way they play. Um, if they were to change their behavior and play that way, I think we would all welcome it. But um, we've not seen evidence of that so far. I, I really do think that's more propaganda. I think that Taiwan's interest in it is is much more real and much more, um, you know, I, I can see that as an actionable move. But I would say this, um, America needs to continue to find opportunities for economic engagement in a variety of means. You know, we did a new trade agreement with South Korea. We did the deal with Japan. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very strongly in favor of finding new ways to work with Taiwan, whether that's through an FTA or through some other type of uh, arrangement. I'm, I'm happy to, to look at it and be supportive of it. Uh, and if I think about um, where we're going with Taiwan, the United States and Japan, uh, I recently took place in the inaugural U.S.-Taiwan-Japan parliamentary dialogue. We're trying to find ways to connect legislators uh, among the countries as well. Prime Minister Abe joined that call uh, from the Japan side. And I think we've got um, opportunities on multiple fronts, deepen our economic relationship as you described, whether it's through trade agreements or, or other means um, to deepen our diplomatic relationships and, and continue to connect uh, more closely with, with uh, that region every day. So let me ask you then about um, quad shifting uh, a little bit, and, and I actually do want to, to highlight what you mentioned about the bilateral uh, trade and services agreement with between Japan and the U.S. that was negotiated under the Trump administration. I think it doesn't get nearly enough play uh, as something that that showed uh, that the U.S. was not completely abandoning trade uh, trade agreements and trade agreements in Asia, and that that's an important element, as you point out. Um, but a lot of attention has been given to the quad. Obviously, we have the quad. Uh, being revitalized during the Trump administration at the at the the secretary or ministerial level, uh, the Biden administration has taken it up to the principals level, meaning the leaders of of the countries. And just last week, there was the first quad meeting uh, in Washington, or this week actually, first quad meeting in Washington of of the leaders. Um, how do you see the quad going forward? Does what? How does it fit into the alliance um, between Japan and the United States? Should we be focusing more on the quad? Do we continue? you focusing on, on the alliance? How do you juggle that? And then you throw AUKUS in the Australia, US, UK defense, largely it's a defense agreement that was just announced a couple of weeks ago. Can you walk us through that and give us your thinking from the Hill? This well, podcast the, the, has I, been a production I, I said, of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society. Was, uh, For more information message. about our work Look, the quad and to hear more of our podcasts or see our video content, please visit hoover.org. Um, when I was U.S. Ambassador to Japan, I prioritized strengthening the Quad. 
Um, I feel like there are very strong areas of cooperation. You know, today we're talking about vaccine diplomacy. There are great opportunities in infrastructure. Um, I was very active in putting together the Blue Dot Network, as we came to call it, but the partnership between our development finance corporation here, between its partner, JVIC in Japan, uh, we brought Australia into that fold. Uh, I signed on behalf of the United States uh, that, that agreement in Tokyo as, as the three nations came together. Uh, I think that infrastructure and investment in the region uh, is an area of cooperation for us, but of course, security-related issues are gonna be at the core of what we do. Um, the Malabar exercises that uh, took place in 2020, you know, SAR, our Navy's integrated there. I think that is a very good opportunity to see informal cooperation among the nations. 2021, um, we're talking about incorporating the French Navy as well. Uh, I think encouraging the participation of other countries like the UK, like South Korea, all of this is positive. I don't think the Quad needs to be limited to just the four nations that we talk about constantly, but when there are other opportunities to bring other nations in, uh, I, I certainly welcome and support that. Uh, and I think as the China threat continues to, uh, to, to increase and to expand, uh, the Quad is gonna need to focus you know, very, very carefully on the role that it can play. But I've been very pleased um, to see you know, that the, the leaders come together as they have here last week, and I think that's a foundation for security and, and prosperity in the region, as we've always said. Let's continue to look for more opportunities to expand it and, and more opportunities to work together. You also mentioned the, uh, the Australia-UK-US agreement that was announced, and you know, France uh, responded in a way that um, you know, might, might have been avoided, but uh, I was very clear in my public comments that uh, I felt their response was an overreaction. I think that at the end of the day, what we need to see is more capability in the region and bringing nuclear propulsion capability to Australia in partnership uh, with, with ourselves in the UK, I think is a step in the right direction. I wanna see more cooperation, uh, nuclear propulsion, uh, quantum computing, cybersecurity. We have so many interests that are aligned and opportunities to work more closely together with Australia, I think is, is very, very positive and very, very important. So uh, I applaud finding ways like this to, to partner and work together with our allies like Australia. The, the diplomacy of all of this, uh, you know, I wasn't involved in the specifics of the negotiation. Uh, France obviously felt left out, cut out. I think we'll get over that. Uh, and I think we need to get back to business in terms of uh, finding ways to continue to work together to enhance our posture in the region. So, Senator, I, I can't let you go before channeling John Yu, who <laughs> always asks about food. And, and I'm, I'm going to ask you a little bit about food on, in a lightning last round. Right. I was going to ask you about Japan from a personal perspective. Sure. Uh, you've, I think you've lived there about five years now in total. I lived there four years. So um, those of us who've lived over there always have our favorite places. So let me start with the John question, which is your favorite Japanese restaurant in the United States. Well, that would be in my hometown of Nashville, Tennessee. It's called Sonokana. And um, it's run by, okay. uh, run, run by a, a family who got ties to Hiroshima. Uh, they do a terrific job. They, they have a great uh, fishmonger. And um, we go there probably once a week. It's the only place that my kids can find a true Japanese curry. Uh, it, they, they've got uh, udon. Uh, you know, just the basic salary man, everyday meal. And they also have great sushi. 
sort of about it. Now, now, Senator, you know, you don't have to run for re-election for five more years. You <laughs> could say somewhere in New York, D.C. I love it. That is great. Nashville, fantastic. Sonobana, we're putting that on our list. Um, now, I'm going to ask you the question that I, that I would ask. I, I often, you know, have friends and, and professional colleagues who are going to Japan, and they, they say, where should I go? And so I've come up with, with my list of the treasures that you need to go and see. Where, you have a friend. He's asking you, what do I do? I got, I got a, a free week. Give us your top three. Where do you send someone to Japan to really get a sense of what Japan is? Well, if they want to go and have fun, and I know you know this place, Gompachi, oh. the, the Kill Bill restaurant, right? This is where I think uh, <laughs> President Bush came ill uh, at one point, uh, but it's always a it's fun a long, place. President H.W. Bush. H.W. Yes, Bush, exactly. Ago. That was a long time ago, but it's always been a fun place to go. Uh, my kids. I was actually in Japan then, sir, by the way. I was, I was watching that on TV. Oh, when it happened, I was yeah. in Japan my first year. Was Everyone thought, oh, my God, what's happening? Okay, <laughs> Gompachi. So Gompachi is one of those wow. places. My, my, my kids love to have their birthdays there because they do a special <laughs> celebration. Um, there is a digital art museum. I don't know if you've tried that yet, but it's fantastic. Uh, the Mori yeah. family that uh, are mm -hmm. real estate developers there have been behind this, and it really is a, a special experience. It's there in Tokyo, uh, but okay. I would highly encourage that. But I would also encourage uh, the third point would be to get out of Tokyo, to take the bullet train to Kyoto and to see, you know, ancient Japan. Uh, it's just spectacular. The temples, the food. The Gion District, um, it was uh, and always, it, it has been and will continue to be, I think, one of the incredible differentiators of Japan. People come from all over the world to see that area, and I, would, I think any trip to the nation would, uh, would, be, um, would, would be lacking if you didn't find your way to Kyoto. I, I agree. I'm, I'm, a, I'm partial to Nara myself, having the ancient, lived near the more ancient there. capital, yeah. Uh, slightly more ancient, a little bit smaller, but but Kyoto, absolutely. Uh, so that is great. We're, this goes in our list. Uh, we remember Sonobana. We remember Gompachi. This is fantastic. Uh, but most importantly, though, we, we thank you for um, walking us through these really critical issues in a time of incredible change. And as you've mentioned uh, throughout the podcast, incredible challenge. But there's, there's a lot that's moving. Uh, and I, I think it is particularly important that we have folks uh, who know Japan, uh, know our allies the way that you do, the way that you know Japan, um, to shepherd, it, the, shepherd us through this, this period. And it's going to be increasingly important as, quite frankly, an older generation passes from the scene, those mm -hmm. who were working through the Cold War, and your experience at the tail end, but you know, after the Cold War is really the Japan of today. So we thank you for uh, the leadership you're showing uh, with your colleagues on the Hill. We thank you for taking time today and, and talking with us here on the Pacific Century. So on behalf of my flying colleague, John Yu, I'm Misha Oslin. We've been here with Senator Bill Haggerty. We'll see you next time. Wonderful to be with you, Misha. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.